Praise the Lord. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. Give it up for Jesus. Are you ready tonight? Turn to somebody. Amen. Look at somebody and uh, punch them. No, just kidding. Just the, the men are in the house, right? All the guys in the men's office, let me go for it. Amen. I've been wanting to do that. Pastor, you gave me permission. No, don't punch anybody, brother. Amen. Come on, give him a high five. Tell him what's up. What's up? All right, take your seat. All right. I got to get in this word, but so much is happening. And um, uh, the Lord has just been doing so much in uh, mine and my, my wife and I's life and our ministry. And at the same time, how many know the enemy hits? Amen. But um, we're, we're not, the, Paul said in Hebrews 10, 35, we're not the kind to shrink back. A, a kind is, means like, you know, it's a, it's a principle in Genesis. Kind reproduces kind. Paul says we're not the kind to shrink back just because we go through trials. Amen. We're going to keep pressing forward. That's not the kind. Matter of fact, if you're part of this church, you're not of that kind. Amen. You're, that's not your DNA. That's not the bloodline you come from. The kind you come from is a man named Pastor Steve who was a world shaker. Amen. That's the kind that you are. So uh, we just have been strategizing and planning and uh, you know, Pastor Bob has been um, doing a satellite church in, in the city of Roseville uh, for the last couple of years. Him and his wife have been there and their kids and been building a work there. And it seems like the Lord has used that for a training ground, amen, for him and his wife. And so uh, I know you guys love Mar Marillo, right, Evangelist Mar Marillo? Well, he's there in the city of Martinez. He um, has wanted to partner with Vic Charge for some time. He's been wanting a Vic Charge church uh, in his city to where he's willing to let us use his building for free to put a church there. And so Pastor Bob and his wife are going to be going to Martinez, amen. They're going to be leaving Roseville, and they're starting to work on Martinez. But we want to assemble a team together, amen. We want to put a team together. So Pastor Stella and I have been talking, and maybe there's a brother here, you feel a burden, amen, to go and make a difference, and uh, let God use you and be part of a team. And uh, we're, our launch is going to be Easter Sunday. That's going to be their first service. So right now, we're going to start hitting the streets, start passing out flyers, getting ready, and then we're going to uh, bring the drama in, our drama in, amen, and most of you guys have a drama now too, right? So we want to do some plays and win some souls and let God do a work there in the Contra Costa County, amen? And then also too, uh, you know, God has put upon our hearts as, as the, the sons of Pastor Steve to see the work in the Philippines continue and to see that work continue to go forward, and so... We've been planning and strategizing with Pastor Christian, and uh, we're going to uh, have uh, do some things this year. One is we want to get him some help uh, financially and also uh, with some soldiers out there. And then in October, we're going to plan like an Asian invasion, amen, and take our drama and take teams with there and just hit the streets. And let's win some souls, amen. So uh, come on, give God a hand of praise for that, amen. So it's not done yet. we got to continue the work that our, our, our papa left for us to do. And that's, that's our commission as, as uh, coming from this kind. That's, that's our lane. That's our part of our purpose and our calling. And so we're just excited about that. And, and, and a lot of our brothers that come from this lineage are getting together saying, we, we want to make a difference. We want to help out. And let's help Pastor Christian. And even so, let's see something happen there in the city of Martinez. Amen. So keep them in prayer. Amen. And if you feel a burden, then speak up. Amen. If not, pray and, you know, and just seek the Lord on their behalf because we believe that uh, God is on the move. Can I get a witness? He's on the move. Amen. God's a motion-sensitive God. That's what he is. 
And a lot of times we're waiting on God to move. He's waiting on you to move. Like when you go in the bathroom, some bathrooms have motion sensors. They don't turn on until you move. Amen. God's that way. God sometimes is that way where he's waiting for us to move. And we keep using the excuse, I'm waiting on God. I'm waiting on God. He's waiting on us. He's saying, you move. I'll meet you there. You move. You step out in faith. Because there's a lot of times God can't step in until you step out. God can't step in until you step out. you got to step out by faith. you got to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you and believe that God's going to come through for your life. Amen? So tonight, I spoke this message in my church the other day, and, and, I, and I, was, I was praying, getting ready this today, or even yesterday. I said, I need to share this word because I think if there's a message for men, it's this message right here. If this 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 word I preached in the church the other day, this is a message for men. And so um, I, I think if anybody who kind of epitomizes manhood is King David. Can I get a witness? And King David is probably one of the funnest guys to preach about. And I know most of you think already, yeah, I know about the stones and this and that. But we're going to look at this from a whole different perspective tonight. But I, I believe that through this and through this word, God's going to speak to many of us tonight. Amen? So let's go to 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16, and we're going to talk about being anointed for confidence. Anointed for confidence. Because if there's one thing the devil is after in man of God is their confidence. He's, he's after the confidence because your confidence is what releases your anointing. If you don't have confidence, then there's no release of the anointing. I, I love what the brother talked about, about being anointed. But it's confidence that releases that anointing. If you're not confident in who you are and whose you are and who you belong to, you're not going to release the anointing for your family. You're not going to release the anointing for your ministry. You're not going to release the anointing in the streets, amen. You've got to be confident in who you are in Christ. And most, most of us guys, we come from backgrounds where we didn't have too much confidence. That's why we put up fronts. That's why we wore masks. That's why we did certain things because we didn't have a whole lot of confidence. And so I want to look at David's life here tonight. And I want to just exposit this whole text here and get in some things. And we're going to talk about confidence tonight because if you can let God raise you up to be a confident man of God, not arrogant, confident man of God, you're going to do great things for God. How many want to do great things for God tonight? 1 Samuel 16, I have a lot of scriptures. Some of them I'm not going to read for the sake of time. Just you'll be able to write them down and I'll make reference to it. But trust me, it'll be there. Amen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? They were still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once. Samuel said, we will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. Let me just stop there for a moment. You know, this, the, the beautiful thing about this is that you ever feel in life sometimes you get passed up? You ever feel like, man, that brother passed me up or that person passed me up? Well, here is, here is a picture for you and I that when you feel like you get passed up, you need to know this. It doesn't matter who goes before you or who you think passed you up. If it is yours, my friend, they can't have what's yours. They can't have what's yours. If it belongs to you, even if you feel like they passed you up, if it's yours, they cannot have what's yours. He says he was dark and handsome. See, that's why I like him because I'm dark and handsome. Amen. That's why me and David get along real good because I'm dark and handsome. Amen? So praise the Lord. Let's keep going. With beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. And, and the, the picture here is that even though they go before you, 
the, the anointing won't flow for them because it's not, it's not for their appointed time. It's for your appointed time. That's why you need to know this because sometimes we feel like, oh, man, it's too late for me. No, the Bible says the gifts and the calling of God are beyond repentance. If it's your time, if it's your season, the anointing is going to flow through your life. So here's, here's the thing. I, I've learned that in this area of confidence, it's tough sometimes to decipher between what's confidence and what's arrogance. How do we know what is confidence and how do we know what, what is arrogance? Well, Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 3, For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, have no confidence in the flesh. Somebody who's confident in God is somebody who's learned that they can't put confidence in their own abilities. Yes, God gives us giftings. Yes, God gives us talents. Yes, God gives us skills. But a confident man of God knows that they can't put their confidence in those things. They've got to put their confidence in the anointing that God gave them. See, you have an anointing, my friend. When I speak that way, some of you don't think you're anointed. You're anointed because the Bible says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that's in you and I. And so if Christ was anointed, you're anointed. So the question tonight is are, not if you are anointed or not. The question is can you think at the level of your anointing? You're anointed. The problem is we don't think at the level of our anointing. If the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us, then why don't we start seeing God use our life in a, in a tremendous way? It's because we don't think at the level of our anointing. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8 in the NLT says this, But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love. Watch this. And wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. What is it that helps us fight off negative thoughts? It's the confidence of who we are in God. The confidence that I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm not the same person I used to be. Jesus delivered me. Jesus set me free. There needs to be a confidence in that. If not, then you'll be a part of what a recent survey said in Newsweek magazine that 79% of people's thoughts are negative. 79% of the thoughts people have towards themselves or towards others or towards things in this world are negative. You know what I say about that? I, I say this. You, you, can't keep a, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you sure can stop it from making a nest in your head. You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor Eddie? In other words, there, there's just things in life, thoughts are just going to pop in your head sometimes. Hello, you'll be driving, all of a sudden, oh, where'd that come from? Where did that thought come from? Oh, I don't even remember. Oh, man, why am I thinking about that? Those thoughts will fly by like a bird, but you have a choice. Are you going to make a nest in your head or are you going to rebuke that thing? Are you going to let it, you know, start residing in your head, start making you trip, take you there emotionally, or are you going to pull that thing down, which the Bible says you can do? Too many guys, you know, they have like a spiritual pride when it comes to like temptation. You don't think the way I do. You don't, you don't, you don't understand what I've been through. You don't, you don't know what I've been through. That's a life in the pit of hell. This is victory outreach. If anybody knows what you're going through, it's us. Amen, somebody. If anybody's been tempted, anybody has the same problem with the negative thoughts, it's this people in this ministry. Let go of your pride and realize God's anointed you to have confidence in who you are in Christ. Because if not, that's why you're not seeing the anointing flow. 
You're not seeing anointing flow in your life, the anointing for your marriage, the anointing for your family, the anointing for, for many areas. You know who understood this? Was Jesus Christ, not only the Son of God, but also he, he was 100% human. Look what his words are in Luke 14. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, here's what's funny. You and I are all striving to be like Jesus, to live like Jesus, to walk like Jesus, to talk like Jesus. But very few of you, if I said you can repeat this prayer in reference to yourself, you wouldn't go there. Wait a minute, aren't you supposed to be like Jesus? Aren't you supposed to live like Jesus? Aren't you trying to talk like Jesus? But if I said this can apply to your life, God's spirit's upon you because he's anointed you to preach the gospel to the poor, to, to heal the brokenhearted, to give sight to the blind, you won't go there. Why? Because you don't believe it. You don't believe it. And you know you're anointed but your confidence or lack of confidence will prohibit you from saying, I'm anointed. I am a man of God. I am. These hands are made to lay hands on the sick. I, I'm, this lips are anointed to preach and to get people out of captivity. God has anointed me to, to use the word of God as a sword. God's anointed me to see people saved, to reach treasures out of darkness. But that's hard for some of you to say that because why? You lack confidence. You're not confident in who you are. Then why are we trying to be like Jesus? How? Why? What are we doing then? If Paul said the same spirit that raised him from the dead is in us, then we, should, we could actually pray the same thing. God's spirit's on me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel, to proclaim liberty to captives and give sight to the blind. You could say that prayer because that's your mission, but you don't believe it. Because you're not confident. Why you struggle in your marriage of being a father? You're not confident. Why you struggle in your marriage and, or in, in your ministry and not having life in your ministry? Because you're not confident. Oh, you, 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 you're saved. But when it comes to moving in the anointing, you think, oh, no, not me. I can't preach like that. I can't talk like that. I can't do that. I can't interpret the word like that person. I can't sing like that. I can't, you know, uh, do this or do that. Why not? You are anointed, my friend. You are anointed by God. You've got to start believing you're anointed by God. The problem is we don't think at the level of our anointing. And here's the thing I realized, too. You start talking like that, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have some haters. Oh, oh, he thinks he's anointed. Oh, look, he thinks he's all that. Oh, look, he thinks he can do this and do that. Well, that's what the Bible says. If I'm reading the word of God right, that's what the word of God tells me I can do. I'm not, I'm not being confident in my own abilities. I'm saying it's God inside of my life. It's not me. It's the spirit of God inside of me. I can do nothing on my own abilities. It is the anointing of God that gives me confidence. And confidence releases that anointing. It releases that anointing. So here we have David and in 1 Samuel 17, verse 26. You know the story. I'm not going to elaborate on it. The Israel, army of Israel is on one side, the Philistines and Goliath on the other side. They're not fighting. They're just trash talking to each other. 
screaming at each other. Nothing's happening. But there's a clear picture here of what made David confident. See, I'm telling you there's an anointing on your life, but unless you and I apply what David applied, then there's not going to be a release of the anointing. How many want to release the anointing this, in this, this year? Amen. I want to see the anointing released. I've been asking God, God, release the anointing. Release the beast. Amen. Release it. Release the kraken. Hallelujah. Release that thing. So look at 1 Samuel 17, verse 26. Amen. Release. Don't be showing your kraken. Amen. Pull up your pants. <laughs> we don't do that no more. Amen. Pull them up, brother. Pull them up. 1 Samuel 17, 26. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine, watch this, and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I want to give you four points tonight of what is the evidence of confidence. How do you know you're walking in confidence? Number one, they all begin with C. David had a conviction that nobody else had. When you look at what David says here, David says, who is this guy to talk about my God like that? Who is this person to challenge my God like that? See, people with conviction, they have a conviction about things other folks don't have a conviction about. They have a conviction about going to the streets. Hello, somebody. They have a conviction about witnessing. They have a conviction about paying their tithes. They have a conviction about serving in the house of God. David had a conviction that the other, at that time, men of God didn't have. See, we need men of God who are going to have a conviction about the cause of God, the purpose of God, the destiny of God over their life. You've got to know you're called. You're not in the men's home just to get a job. You're not called just to work. That's a means to an end. No, you have a purpose. You have a destiny, my friend. And you've got to have a conviction about that. If not, you're going to spend your life wandering, doing nothing. Because why? Because you've got no conviction. See, conviction fabricated usually leads to manipulation. When you try to fabricate conviction, a lot of people will manipulate or they'll portray something they're really not. Like, I love talking like them old folks from the old generation of church. And you try to say, like, God's name in vain. They're like, oh, no, you didn't. Don't do that in my house. Don't. You know, I remember one time Art had his mom living with him. And uh, he was watching a movie. And she came out and like, I cannot believe you're playing that movie in this house. Does your pastor know he, that you're watching that movie? He said, yeah, he gave it to me. Amen. <laughs> but there's a conviction about them. There's a conviction about who God is. There's a conviction about the God they know. Are you with me? See, 2 Timothy 1.12 says this. For this reason I suffer things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I believed. I am persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. See, even Paul was confident. Because a confident person, you can tell by their talk. You can tell when they're going through things. I'm not worried about it because my God will supply all my need according to his riches and glory. The Bible says I'm the head, not the tail. I'm the top, not the bottom. Yeah, I'm hard-pressed on every side, but we're not, pre we're, not, we're not destroyed. They have a talk about them. David had that talk. See, if, it's counterfeit, if you're counterfeiting conviction, 
it'll be hype speech. But true conviction is hope speech. Counterfeiting conviction is hype speech. You get, you get those guys that try to, you know, hype things up. But true conviction that speaks brings hope to people. And David's confidence affects his talk and his walk. You, ha- you and I have to have a conviction that you're called for greatness. I mean, when you see things in this world, the way it's going and, and how things are turning away from God, does it make you righteously indignated? It makes me upset when they, they, they talk about God and try to deny God and try to deny his existence and, 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 and say sin is right. It just, it makes me so angry. It makes me so upset because there's a conviction about me. Is there a conviction about you about God? Or do you just stand and let people blaspheme God and you don't say nothing about it? You hear it somewhere and they're, you know, putting God down or they're having an agnostic view or an atheist view and you just let them talk. I'm not saying get crazy. I'm not saying be rude. That's not what I'm saying. Because David didn't do that. Because conviction comes from character. See, we live in a day and age where the church is big on gifts and little on character. And you have to understand something. Gifts come from impartation, but character comes from intimacy. Gifts come from impartation. You did nothing to get the gifts you have. When you got saved, God imparted to you. Paul said, I long to be with you. I can lay hands on you and impart a gift to you. You can't brag about that. You can't boast about that. If you got the gift of preaching, it came from God. If you got the gift of healing, it came from God. If you got the gift of, of, of exorcism, it came from God. If you got the gift of giving, it came from God. If you got the gift of leadership, it came from God. But how about your fruit? See, because intimacy produces character, and character is fruit. And Jesus said in John 15, I want them to have fruit that remains. I've seen too many guys in my 20-something years saved have seasons of fruit, but then it don't remain. They look good for a minute, and it don't remain. It's like when Jesus is walking, he curses the fig tree. Why did he curse the fig tree? The Bible says it wasn't time, the time for the figs. It's because the further he was away from the fig tree, the tree looked good from a distance. But the closer he got to the fig tree, the fig tree was put in a facade that it was like it had fruit, but it really had no fruit. And it's a representation of you and I, my life that we like to keep people at distance because we don't want them to see the real deal of who we really are. You want to put an a, a image of you're holy. You want to put an image of you're, you're, you're zealous for God. But the reality is the, the closer we get, you see no fruit in your life. There's no fruit there. Just a bunch of cover-up. Just a bunch of this and that. See, David at this point, not only did he have a conviction about who God was, David, if David had met Bathsheba at this point, he would never fell in with her. Because his conviction... Not only about who God was, but his conviction about sin was at an all-time high. How do we know that? Because God was preparing him in loneliness. 1 Samuel 16, verse 11 says, David was tending to the sheep. God develops character when nobody's looking, when nobody's around. See, you have to know this one thing. When I see men who lack confidence, usually there's a sin issue in their life. Sin will suck your confidence out of your life. Because the devil's going to hit you with guilt. It's going to be hard to come up here and minister. Matter of fact, there was a guy in our church. 
struggled for years and years and with, with lust and for years and, and uh, not really open about it, of how bad he had it. But recently, a lot of stuff came out about him. And I remember it hit me as clear as day. I was meeting with him in my office, and every time he would get on stage and try to act or do things or even, like, share, he would, like, stumble and flump, flump, you know. He would get, you know, frustrated and his speech and this and that. And I told him, that's the whole problem. See, the whole problem is you were trying to get up there and act like everything was okay, but the Holy Spirit didn't let you because you had a lot of sin in your life. And you weren't right to be on the pulpit, so you couldn't speak in front of people. You couldn't talk in front of people. You couldn't do this because you, you weren't right with God. The good thing is God didn't let you get away with it. The bad thing I've seen is guys will get up here and fake it. Then it comes out years later what really happened. Pastor Steve used to say, nobody sees the seed, but everybody sees the fruit. Nobody sees the seed, but everybody sees the fruit. You, we have to have a conviction about sin. And it's funny how, and I was sharing this in Mexico. See, when you first were saved, you called your sin, sin. Now you classify it as a mistake. And every time you talk to your pastor, I made a mistake. No, you sinned. See, and here's the thing. If you don't classify it as a sin, then you don't need a savior. Because Jesus didn't die for mistakes. He died for sins. He died for sins. A mistake is falling short of man's standard. Sin falls short of God's standard. So if you, if you made a mistake, you don't need forgiveness from Jesus. If you just made a mistake, you don't need God to wash you and cleanse you. And that's why guys aren't set free because they don't call their sins sins. They keep calling them mistakes. But when you first came to Christ, you're like, I'm a sinner. I'm no good for nothing, God. I'm a dirty sinner. And now all of a sudden you get cleaned up, everything's a mistake. I got guys like that. Oh, I made a mistake, Pastor. No, you sinned. If you want to be free, call it what it is. Because Jesus didn't die for mistakes. He died for sins. As long as you keep classifying it as a mistake, then you're just falling short of my standard or your pastor's standard. But we're not the standard for sin. Jesus is. And if you want to be cleansed and washed, you've got to call it for what it is. Stop saying you keep making a mistake. You keep sinning. That's the problem. You keep going with that person. It's sin. It's not a mistake. Number two. All right, how many are with me today? Push the person next to you. Tell them, wake up. So David had conviction. Number two, David had a covenant. See, in, in 1 Samuel 17, verse 26, David says these words. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David is not trying to put the Philistine down. He's not trying to, like, bag on him. Oh, bro, you know, man, sh you know, you ain't cut, bro, so, you know, you're not, you're not cool, man. You know, I'm cut, I'm clean, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I got to hang like that. You don't. Amen. It's the men's class, right? All right. Because last time I came, some guy preached on Baal and said the altar's a ball. So I don't know where he's at, but that's a true story. The last guy did five minutes of fire said, you know, Gideon turned on the altar of balls. So didn't he say that? Okay. So we're talking about circumcision. Amen. And if you ain't been circumcised, well, today we got a special half off after church. Amen? 
Pastor Steph is going to line you up, and we're going to have a special half off. Watch this. So when he calls the uncircumcised Philistine, an uncircumcised Philistine, what was he doing? You know what he was doing? He was saying, there is no way that I can be defeated. Watch this. Because circumcision meant I have a promise. I have a covenant with God. He don't have the promise that I got. He don't have the covenant that I got. He didn't have the covenant that God gave my father Abraham in Genesis 17 that said, this is the site of my covenant with you. So there's no way that this guy can take what belongs to me because God didn't give him that promise. God gave me that promise. And you have to realize God's given you a promise. There's general promises from God. Then there's personal promises from God. I said it before. That's how the word of God, there's two words for the word of God. There's the Rima word of God and the Logos word of God. The Logos word of God is the written word of God. When you read the Bible, it's the Logos. What's the difference? The Logos is everybody's promise. The Rima word of God is your personal promise. And here's the thing. If you don't have a personal promise from God, you're going to spend your whole Christianity jealous about somebody else's promise. I had to get my own promise. I had to get my own Rima. I, when things got tough in Sacramento and still get tough, I've got my own covenant. I've got my own promise that God's given me. I have the overall new covenant promise that he said he'll never leave me nor forsake me. But I've got some personal promises too that when things get hard, I know what God told me. I know what God spoke to me. And no Goliath's going to take what's mine. Are you with me? Because when you got a promise, you don't need much of the natural. You could be broke, but say, I got a promise from God. He's going to supply my needs. Your kid may be sick, but you got a promise that God's going to heal them. Your wife may be estranged right now, but if God spoke to you through a personal promise, she could be doing what she's doing now, but you know God's going to get her back. If you've got a personal promise, are you with me? And you have to realize this. When David shows up, all his brothers and all the haters accuse him of being arrogant. It's so funny. People who ain't got a promise get mad at those who know their promise. Oh, look at them. They think they're all that. Oh, look, at they got blessed with a new car. They think they're all that. Yeah, but you ain't seen what they've been given in the background and sowing and paying tithes and laboring and blessing and you know, we can and building fun and God's blessed them. But you're hating because why? Because you ain't got no promise. You ain't got no promise. You got no promise. So that's why you keep surrendering to Goliath. See, God promised me a holy, haughty woman. They had to wait 10 years to get. That's why singles in my church, they got it real bad. They do. Because they can't use that excuse. I mean, you don't know what it's like, Pastor. Shut the front door. Are you kidding me? I was single for 10 years. 10 years waiting on God, believing God, speaking in tongues, taking cold showers. I know what it's like. Don't use that stuff on me. You just want to be disobedient. But I waited for my promise. You got to wait for your promise. The promise is you don't want to wait. Watch this. The word compromise is compromise. It means you try to add something to your original promise. So people compromise, they're trying to add something to the original promise. Compromise. Compromise. 
promise. You don't think I ever wanted to compromise when waiting on God? Oh, yes. I mean, I, I got stories I could tell you. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my Lord. I ain't got time to get there. But I got some stories, man, that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm anointed. I, I got some spiritual sexy swag on me. Don't look at me like that. Amen. I had a stalker in the church. Devin will tell you. A stalker after me. A stalker. Tell me I wasn't supposed to marry my wife. I was supposed to marry her. Calling the office. Come by the office doing this. Stalking me. Sister Joyce had to call the women's home and, you know, handle business. Amen. Because she was stalking me. And there was a lot of, lot of things that happened that you don't realize. Enemy tried to get me to compromise what God promised me. But you have to know who you are. You have to know who you are. And that God gave you a promise. Don't compromise your promise. Thirdly, you, if you, somebody who has confidence is somebody who has conquest in their life. What is conquest? Conquest is personal victories. Now, now watch this. 1 Samuel 17, 32, go there, and I'm going to read this for you. Write it down if you're taking notes. And here David now is, is talking to Saul about this whole situation, King Saul. He says to Saul, let no man fail because of him or heartfelt because of him. Your servant will go and fight the Philistine. Saul said to David, you're not able to go against the Philistine and fight him, for you are a youth. He's been a man of war, or some versions say he's been training as a man of war since he was a youth. And David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep when, he was a, lion, when, it, when a lion or a bear came and took the lamb out of the flock. I went after it, struck it down, delivered it from the lamb's mouth. And when it rose up against me, I caught it by the beard, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. Here it is again. And this uncircumcised Philistine who has no promise will be like one of those. Now, I just kind of like to just imagine when I read scripture. And I imagine King Saul and David are having this, this, this little, you know, confrontation, this little debate. And I, and I, I can see Saul saying, David, man, come on, bro. You're, you're not real tall. I mean, come on. This guy's been training for war since he's a youth. And David's like, I got this. Someone say, I got this. Why could he say, I got this? Why could, he, why could David with confidence say, I got this? Watch. Conquest. But what, what is the principle or what is he trying to tell King Saul? He tells King Saul, watch. He says, don't trip. Because while he's been training for battle since he was a youth, I've been in the battle since I was a youth. I've already been fighting. I've already been in there. I, I fought a bear. I fought a lion. And this guy is just next in my preparation for my destiny. He says, he's only been training for war. I've been actually been on the battlefield doing the war. I'm the one who's been fighting. Don't trip. He'll be like the rest, King Saul. Don't trip because, see, I have personal victories in my life. You have to have personal victories. You can't keep crying over little things and things about money. You want to take the world, but you cry about everything. Crying about your marriage, crying about your wife, crying about this, crying about that. Be careful, my friend, because if you have no personal conquest, you're going to lack personal confidence. You've got to have personal victories. You know, great, your testimony. God saved you. Yeah, you killed 20 guys in prison with a butter knife. Praise God. All right. But what has God done through you lately? What has God done through you lately? You can say, man. We needed this, and God came through, or I was this, and God came through. What are those personal conquests that give you confidence? 
See, guys who have no personal conquest, they lack confidence. That's why the home, you see the difference with the guys who complete the home, you know, finish it, and those who are just going for a few months. It's personal conquest. They feel good about themselves. And they think twice about backsliding because they paid a price to do something that was very difficult. So you talked about today. Pastor Jesus always say the home seems like the long way, but it's the short way to get what you want. It seems like the long way, but it's the fast way to get your family back. It's the fast way to get your kids back. It's the fast way to get your life back. It seems like the long way, but it's the short way to get what God has for your life. Now, here's the problem. See, because some guys in my church and in my region, they claim they're confident, but they have a problem submitting the leadership. Look at David's reference. Your servant. Your servant, King Saul. Your servant. Your servant, David, out of respect, knew his place. See, Dave, even Saul says, okay, you're going to go fight here. Put, let me put this armor on you. Use this. You know the amazing thing is that? David didn't tell him no. It is so funny. People, when the people left my church because my wife and I tried to give them ideas, they don't like it. They don't want to try it. They don't want to try it. They, no, no, I know what I'm doing. No, I'm, I'm a professional. I'm an expert, whatever. I, I know the vision God gave to me. David still tries on Saul's armor knowing it's not going to work for him. He still tries it on because he still came under his leader. Don't tell me you're confident if you can't submit to your pastor. Don't tell me you're confident if you can't submit to your men's home director or your leader. You're not confident. You're just arrogant. And you, and you think you can do it without, without, you know, God's order of leadership or God's order of authority. No, you need that, beloved. Are you with me? If not, you're going to be a rebel, you're going to be a maverick, and you're going to be a lone ranger in the kingdom of God. And we don't need those. There's enough. I was telling, Pastor was, I was telling all the leadership of Victor Outreach when I spoke this past at the leadership retreat. I said, to me, the biggest heresy in the church today, the biggest heresy, the biggest heresy in the church today is Jesus is all I need. That's the biggest heresy. You're like, what? It is. It's because he's not all you need. You need, if, you, if Jesus is all you need, then you're actually setting yourself up because we're his body. So if Jesus is all you need, then you need his body. See that? And I know we sing about it, and I sing them too in my church. Don't trip. I sing them too. But really, Jesus is all you need for salvation. He's all you need for salvation. I need clothes. I need money. I need, I need, I need water. I need food. Uh, you know, I have needs in my life. And even Paul said, if Jesus was all you need, then why would Paul say, my God shall supply your need? They had Jesus, but they still had a need. Because you know what that statement does? That statement creates lone rangers and mavericks. I don't need anybody. I just need Jesus. I don't need to submit to leadership. I just need Jesus. I don't need to listen to anybody. I just need Jesus. It's me and Jesus. And that has done more damage in the body of Christ. Jesus is all I need than has done more good. I don't need to submit. I don't need this. I don't need to listen to anybody. I just need Jesus. No, you need the body of Jesus. You need his body. You need the leadership that Christ has put in place. Because here's the reality. If you don't have conquest, 
then those things that you really want to conquer will eventually end up conquering you. If you want to do big things for God, you've got to learn to have battles in the little things for God. The Christianity 101, the basics. Show up to church. Be faithful. And it's funny, you, I could tell a guy, and I'm sure Greg could tell a guy, I could tell when a guy in the men's home got it. I could right away when they get blessed out, all of a sudden, they stop dressing up for church. Because they see somebody else do it. I got to go, come here, come here, come here, come here. Were you taught this in the home? So why are you doing it now? Why are you doing it now? Why, why, why all of a sudden do it now? They see it as something so simple, but really it's a heart issue. And it's usually those guys that lead the little things, they end up backsliding after a short period of time. Because they look at the being out of the home as freedom, like it was jail. I'm free. I'm going to live my life now. No, the home was to prepare you to have victory outside the home. And only the guys that make it outside the home are the guys that still live like they're in the home. That's the truth. The guys that still live like it, I need accountability. I need to be at church. I need to serve somewhere. I need to be a servant of God. Those are the guys that still make it. You look at Pastor Dale, you look at Brother, Brother David, you look at my brother here, and they're the ones that make it. If not, then you're not going to make it. If you think you can take off what you learn, no. You've got to submit. So when you say Jesus is all I need, please put a quotation out of that for salvation. Because you need more than just Jesus. He made you to need more than just him. Hello? Even he needed his friends. When he was in the garden, he needed J Peter, James, and John. He needed his friends. You need the body of Christ. Fourthly and lastly. The fourth thing is, let's go over these real quick. So David had conviction. David had uh, uh, conquest, right? And, and he had a covenant and he had conquest. The last thing David had is communion. 1 Samuel 17, verse 37 says this. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. When he makes reference to the Lord, that speaks of intimacy, relationship with God. Daniel said in 1132, he says, those who know their God will do great exploits. The, the problem is that you can't, it's hard to be confident, to be a confident man of God outside communion with God. See, the closer I get to Jesus, the more I talk to Jesus, the more confident I become. Are you with me? See, because a real confident man knows that, that the vision God gives them, the vision God gives you, it has to be connected to compassion. If you're really talking to God and you're really seeking God, then a godly vision will lead you to help people. But selfish ambition will lead you to use people. If it's not of God or if it's your own thing, you're going to use people, you're going to step over people. But somebody who's connected to God knows that whatever the vision God gives them is to help set people free. Because David's relationship with God, he knew part of his, his destiny was to see not only him, but his brothers, his dad, his fellow countrymen find freedom in Christ. I've learned this, and if you don't get anything tonight, learn this. Your purpose is not something you pick. Your purpose is something you discover. Your purpose is not something you pick. You can't pick your purpose. As the Bible says, you know, God orders our steps. And too many guys, I see too many guys coming to church, they want to sit, telling God, order my sit, God. Order my sit down. I don't want to do that. Order my sit. Show me, God. And you just need to keep stepping. And as you keep stepping, you'll discover your purpose. 
Because if you try to pick your purpose and you're not gifted for that, oh, my, you're going to do a lot of damage to the body of Christ. I had this one guy tell me, I'm called to be a pastor. Nobody liked him. <laughs> How are you going to be a pastor if no one likes you? How are you going to possibly be a pastor if nobody wants to go to your cell group, your life group, whatever they call them these days? How are you going to be a pastor if nobody likes you? He was trying to pick his purpose. Instead of trusting God, following God, being confident in who he was, he realized he wasn't called to be a pastor. He was called to be like a good leader in the church, a good father, a good husband. But he wasn't confident in who he was, so confident people who have no communion with God compare themselves to other people. They're constantly comparing. You could tell a, 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 a person who's confident because they don't need to compare themselves. They know who they are in Christ. But somebody who's not confident, they're comparing, oh, man, look at this, look at that, or even in a judgmental way. Why they do this, why they do that. You need to know those come from insecurities, my friend, and they keep the anointing from flowing out of your life. Somebody who's confident, they can walk with their head up high, and the anointing can be released through them because they know who they are in Christ. David was, had communion with God. You know what's so funny about this, this place where they're having this battle? It's, it's called the Valley of Elah. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 19, it, it says they gathered the Valley of Elah. If anybody knows anything about farming, you know that <clears throat> that's why Sacramento has so much agriculture. You know why? Because it's a valley. It's called the valley. And valleys produce the best fruit. Because all the nutrients from the mountains and the hills, when it rains, washes down to the valleys. The most healthiest soil is in the valleys. That's why there's so much agriculture in the San Joaquin Valley, the Sacramento Valley, Modesto Valley, because all the nutrients rush down from the rain to those places. And it's funny that when you and I are in the valley, we curse the valley. We hate the valley. We hate the low point. But it's the place where God's trying to give the best fruit of your life. It's the place where God's trying to teach you to be a man of God, not to be ashamed of who you are in Christ, to know your place, to have personal conquest so you can be a tree full of fruit, my friend. Because if not, then you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle. You're going to struggle big time. You need to know the most fruitful place in your life or the best fruit in your, that comes out of your life is in the valleys of your life. It's easy to praise God when you're in the mountaintops. But when all hell breaks loose, when you're broke, when your wife's going crazy, when you get rebuked by your pastor, you don't understand why, you're hurt or whatever, that's the time when God will develop the best fruit in your life. Because here's the thing. If you're not confident in God, watch this. God's plan will feel like rejection more than direction. You'll feel like God's rejecting you. I'm sure Pastor, I want to share with you, you know, we were planning to buy this building. We were planning to buy this building we're in. We were getting ready, raising money. I come back from Mexico. The pastor sold the building on me. After he told me he was going to sell it to us and give us first chance at it, all this and that. And see, if I don't know who I am in Christ and I don't know my relationship with God, I don't have you know, communion with God, conviction with God, uh, conquest in my life, I could take that as rejection, but really it's direction. 
And a lot of guys struggle because they, things go wrong or the door closes or it didn't work out. Why is God telling me no? Why didn't God give it to me? Because you're not confident. And so, therefore, you can't release the anointing in your life that God wants to release because you're not confident. It's not rejection. It's direction. It's like this. As AJ comes to the keyboard. How many, maybe not so much here, but you ever had a house where you had a garage door opener? Let me see. Raise your hand. Right? Now, I have a garage door opener at my house. I have a three-car garage. And, you know, sometimes when I want to be bad, how many want to be bad sometimes? Come on, don't look at me like that. You know you want to be bad sometimes. Even pastors want to be bad sometimes. But you ever drive through a neighborhood just pushing your garage door to see if it opens somebody else's garage? Come on, don't, come on, help me out here, right? I know I'm not the only one. Not because I want to steal something, but I thought, you know, maybe I'll just pull over and just keep opening their door and let them, you know, think, you know, what's going on. They come out, man, why is my door open? They close it, then I'll hit it again, open it again. And they go back inside and I'll do it again, just mess with them, right? And, and the thing is this. The, the, the further I get away in the wrong direction from my garage door, no matter how much I push the button, it's not going to open my door. It's not going to open that door. It only will open my garage door when I'm in the vicinity of where it's supposed to be. And that's just like the plan of God with people's life. See, where I see guys get frustrated because you keep pushing the button and it seems like no door's opening for you. You're like pushing the button. You're giving. You're pushing and giving. You're pushing and being faithful. You're pushing the button in, 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 in your word. You're pushing the button in prayer. And a lot of guys get frustrated because the doors aren't opening for them. You ever feel that way? God, I'm doing everything right. God, I'm, I'm trying to be this man of God, this confident man of God. I'm having, you know, my convictions are up, God. I have personal conquest, God. I, I, you know, I have a covenant, God, my promise. And you keep pushing the button. You keep pushing the button. The problem is this, is that when you're in the right vicinity, It'll just open up for you. But what most guys do, they stop pushing the button. They stop being faithful. They stop giving. They stop doing everything they were taught to do because they look at it as rejection. And the reality is that he's just having you go in the right direction. That building, it wasn't rejection. It just wasn't the direction for us because we're pushing we're raising money. We just picked up 137,000 thousand pledges the other day, and people are already paying them off, $5,000. We're pushing, we're pushing, we're pushing. So I told the church, the problem is just that if we keep pushing, when we get close, the door is going to open. But if I don't know who I am in Christ, then it's going to stop the anointing from flowing out of me to help people's lives. So don't be discouraged. Just keep pushing the button. Keep pushing the button of prayer. Keep pushing the button of serving. Just keep pushing the button, guys. And when you get there, it's going to open up for you. Amen? Stand to your feet. Man, I feel the anointing of God. Come on, give God a hand of praise. Come on, come on, come on.